You are listening to audio from Pastor Mark Driscoll. To find more helpful content like this, as well as daily devotions, Ask Pastor Mark videos, resources for leaders, and much more, visit markdriscoll.org. While there, you can also make a donation that will help support the ministry and subscribe to continue getting Bible-based teaching. If you live in or are visiting the greater Phoenix Valley, please feel free to come and see Pastor Mark at the Trinity Church in Scottsdale, Arizona. Thank you for listening and being a part of Mark Driscoll Ministries. And remember, it's all about Jesus. All right, if you've got your Bible, go to John chapter 2. We're spending a year just going verse by verse through a book of the Bible. And as you're jumping in, let me ask you this question. Have have you ever seen that show, Undercover Boss? And have you ever seen that show? My kids love that show. And sort of the premise of the show is this. The owner of the company wants to know what's really going on. But if you just walk through the front door, how many of you own a company, you're CEO, CFO, manager? If you walk in, everybody pretends like they're doing a good job, amen? That all of a sudden, everybody pretends like they're doing a good job. And so what happens in Undercover Boss, they dress up the company owner undercover. And then they go to their place of business and they kind of get the backstage, behind the scenes, real deal glimpse into what's actually going on. And it's pretty fascinating and insightful. My kids love that show, watch it all the time. What we're going to see today is the first ever episode of Undercover Boss. And it's Jesus going to the temple. And the temple is God's organization. This belongs to him. He is the one who's supposed to be in charge. He's written the Bible. He's put in policies and procedures in place. He's handed them the employee manual. We call it the Old Testament. He's given them his directives. Here's how you generate revenue. Here's how you spend revenue. Here's what cash flow looks like. Here's how we take care of customer service. This is how the temple is to be run. And so God comes to the earth. His name is Jesus Christ. He shows up undercover, just looks like a humble Galilean peasant and shows up at the temple. And there he interfaces with all of these religious people who don't understand worship. They don't understand him and they don't understand relationship. They're very devout religious people. And and some of you grew up in devoutly religious homes. Some of you are very religious. There is a good form of religion. James, Jesus' brother, says that pure religion is to care for widows, orphans, and those in need. He's talking about things being done in a way that is biblical. There is also man-made religion that is bad. And this is us adding to what God has said. This is us modifying what God has commanded. This is the human attempt to do things to impress God rather than just to humbly obey God. And so what we're dealing with today is Jesus comes and deals with a strongly religious culture that has a lot of man-made elements that are not God-glorifying elements. So that being said, we'll turn to John chapter 2. And the first thing we learn about is religious people need to learn about worship. Now, here's what happened at the first service. Everybody got very quiet and introspective. Okay, Because if you think about it, there are two ways to read this. One is to say, oh, these people went to church and they were so stupid. Look at how they did it. And then you realize, uh-oh, we're at church. Are we also the stupid people? And that can be very convicting if you actually look at it very humbly. It's say, okay, it's looking at their heart. What's my heart? It's looking at their offering. What's my offering? It's looking at their relationships. What are my relationships? So let me just give you permission today to not just read the Bible and judge other people, but to read the Bible and allow it to judge you. So here's the story. The Passover of the Jews was at hand, John 2, 13. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem in the temple. He found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers were sitting there and making a whip of cords. How many of you didn't know that Jesus knows how to make a whip? He's the Indiana Jones right here. He's going for it. You know that Jesus is angry and he's angry for a while. I don't know how long it takes to make a whip, but probably a while. And he's just like, I am gonna take care of this. And I wonder what he's talking. He is making a whip. And he is gonna start driving people out of church. Can you imagine what this would look like on CNN today? Uh, Jesus showed up at First Baptist Church and he sat in the back during the sermon and made a whip. And before service was over, people were running for their lives. This would be trending on Twitter in a very bad way. I'm glad they didn't have cell phones in that day. We'd still be watching the video on YouTube. Nonetheless, making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen. He poured out the coins of the money changers, overturned their tables. He walked into the business, took the cash register and threw it on the floor. What is Jesus doing? And he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away and do not make my father's house a house of 
trade. His disciples remembered that it was written, and they quote a psalm, zeal for your house will consume me. Well, the season is important. We'll unpack this. It's Passover. That's a holiday. Holiday literally means holy day. It's a day that's set aside in honor to the Lord. The Passover was in celebration to God's delivering of his people to be free to worship him. So in the Old Testament, in the book of Exodus, God's people were in a a nation called Egypt. Ruling over them was a man who had all financial and spiritual power and control. And as a result, he oppressed God's people so they were not spiritually free to worship him. He also oppressed God's people financially and ripped them off and kept them poor in the position of slavery. God showed up and he wanted his people to be free to worship him, to move back to Jerusalem, the home he had intended for them, and to pursue the careers and opportunities that he had set before them. So he delivered his people from this oppressive system in Egypt so they could return to Jerusalem and worship him. And so Passover was remembering that event of their deliverance and freedom. Um, And it is occurring in Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the place that God designated as the place where his people are to come into his presence. And so the temple was constructed there and it was the place of God's presence in the Holy of Holies. It was the holiest place on earth. Let me say this, we do not build homes for God. We build homes for God's people. Sometimes people think, oh, they made the temple so good God could have a house. Let me ask you this. Does God need us to build a house? No, no. God's people need a house. Acts 17 says that God does not live in temples built by human hands. The point is this. God is the maker of all things. He doesn't need us to make him anything. The reason that we even have this church building is not so that God can live here because God needs a place, but so that God's people can come into God's presence. This is a home for God's people, when it uses the language of the father's house, it uses that language here. It's that we are the family of God. God is our father and we need a home. He doesn't need a home. But if his kids come together, God is a father who's very happy to hang out with his kids. That's the analogy. And so that's why even in this church, you won't hear me call this the sanctuary. Because I don't believe when we leave, the glory of God fills this place and we leave the lights off because the glory of God just illuminates the whole property. I I don't think that. I call this the living room. For this reason, we're God's family. He's our father. When we get together, he is happy to be with us. But God is not limited to one geographical place. He rules over all places. God is omnipresent. And that's important to understand. Uh, I've been to the Temple Mount. The temple was destroyed. The Temple Mount is still a place in Jerusalem that people will come all over the world. And they think that by coming to that place, they are coming closer to God. Uh, There's a place called the Wailing Wall. You'll see people get very emotional when they get near this wall and they'll walk up and they'll write down a prayer and they'll put it in the wall. I was there with my family some years ago and I asked some of the people who were present, why are you so emotional? Oh, it's so great to be so close to God. A wall does not get you close to God, Jesus does. The center of our faith is not a place, it's a person. We don't have to go to a place like Mecca or Jerusalem. We can meet with a person named Jesus in whatever place we happen to be, okay? And, and I asked uh, some of the people who were there, why are you so emotional putting your prayer into the wall? They said, well, when I put my prayer in the wall and then it's close to God. No, your prayer is close to God if you give it to Jesus. There's one mediator between man and God, the man Christ Jesus. What happens is sometimes places displace God. And sometimes people ascribe supernatural spiritual significance to a place. Have you been to Sedona? You know what this looks like. (laughs) And the point is they build a temple so that God's people could come together. And then ultimately Jesus arrives. And the whole point of the temple was to get everybody ready for the coming of Jesus. He is the temple, the presence of God. He is the priest. He is the sacrifice. This whole system that we're examining, it is all fulfilled in Jesus. And so here, I have good news for you. Some of you are like, how do I get my prayers answered? Jesus, how do I get close to God? Jesus, how do I live forever? Jesus, how do I go to heaven? Jesus, how do I have a relationship with God? Jesus, you see a theme? That's that's it. Jesus has made it really simple because Jesus is really awesome, amen? And so they're going to Jerusalem and Jesus shows up at Jerusalem and they care more about their building project than their God. That's a problem. Um, And so he shows up at the temple 
He shows up during the Passover season. He shows up in a way that is perfectly acceptable. The way this holiday worked, all able-bodied men that lived within 15 miles would have to make the, the journey to Jerusalem. People would come from all over long distances. And so what is happening here is something that actually the Old Testament uh, commands. And they are bringing with them, did you see this? Oxen, sheep, and pigeons. Now imagine I told you, hey guys, we're all gonna go to Tucson. We're all gonna go to Flagstaff. God wants you to offer a sacrifice. Don't come to worship empty handed. I was reading the book of Leviticus and this is all in there. God wants you to bring oxen, sheep, and pigeons. What would that journey look like for you? Pigeons are nasty, amen? Have you noticed that? They're like, I, like really? I'm gonna carry a bunch of pigeons to Flagstaff? Um, oxen, do you know what they do? I do know what they do. That's why I walk in front of them. You know, I mean, it's sheep. I mean, now imagine you've got your family, you packed up, you got to pack food, you got to pack water, you got to pack your animals, you've raised these animals to sacrifice. Now you're bringing them all to the temple. This is a major inconvenience, amen? How many of you would not be here today if you had to walk and bring some animals? (laughs) Right, we could meet in a phone booth. It would not be a large turnout. But this is how God prescribes that he be worshiped. And so in the Bible, we're talking here about coming to worship God. God expects first fruits. First fruits, that means your first and your best. And that God also expects something that is excellent. So first fruits, when the Bible talks about bringing your first fruits, it talks about God first. What we do in our culture, we do God last. So people say, I went to worship today. Well, what did you sacrifice? I didn't sacrifice anything. Then you didn't worship. Because in the Bible, worship and sacrifice are the same word. They just get translated differently in various contexts of the Bible. But you're not worshiping unless you're sacrificing. So if you come and you say, I didn't give anything. You didn't worship. You didn't worship. And and some will say, I I can't worship God through sacrifice because I don't have any left. That's what happens when you give to God last. If you give to God first, first fruits, God is in first position. That causes you to order the rest of your finances in such a way that you're a good steward. And also it is an act of faith saying, God, if I do things your way, I am asking that you will provide for me. And oftentimes people say, I just don't have anything left for God. That's the problem. God's supposed to be first. Imagine Jesus came over to your house for dinner and you know your family, friends all sat down and Jesus had an empty plate and he said, Jesus, you don't eat first, you eat last. So we're all gonna eat until we're full. And if there's anything left, we'll scrape that on your plate and you can have it, you're welcome. That's last fruits, not first fruits. That's leftovers, not first priority. So what God is asking is to be in the position of first fruits. And what's interesting, our government has cut in line with God. Have you noticed that? I got my first paycheck as a kid. I'm like, who's FICA? And why did he get a percentage of my income? Because the government puts itself upstream in the waterfall before God. So God wants us to give first and God wants us to give best. So in the Old Testament book of Leviticus, God said, bring me oxen, sheep, pigeons. It's their currency, it's their money, it's their portfolio, it's their income. And what God said was, bring me your best. Don't bring me your lame sacrifices. So if you're like, I'm here to worship God and I got a three-legged cow that I found near Chernobyl and I'd like to dedicate it. God's like, keep that thing. I don't want that. People like to give junk to God. And that's not how the kingdom of God operates. Um, I'll tell you a story since you asked. And And I'm fully not healed, so I'm going to share this with you, and I appreciate you being my therapy group. But as a new pastor, uh, we had a a, a young church plant, and people kept dropping off junk for God. I I felt like goodwill wouldn't take it. Let's go to church, you know? And so uh, I'll never forget one guy came up. He's like, "Uh, Pastor Mark, I got a couch I want to give to the church. I was like, hmm, let me ask some questions, because I've seen some other couches that people dropped off. And there's not enough hand sanitizer to make that functional. So let me ask some questions about your couch. I said, uh, does your couch have all the cushions? He's like, uh, no. Okay, why, why are you getting rid of this couch? He's like, I got a better couch. Okay, so you're gonna give me the lame couch. I said, do you have a cat? Oh yeah, why? I said, where does the cat sleep? Does the cat ever sleep on the couch? Sometimes. Has the cat ever peed on the couch? Probably. Okay, 
Here's, here's what Jesus is not doing. Sitting in heaven going, I hope, I hope today I get a broken, cushionless, pea-stained cat couch. Because <laughs> that's how, how much my people love me. <laughs> it's like, you want me to put this in the foyer and put, you know, out of our unending devotion to God who gave all. You know, I, uh, people drop the weirdest stuff off at church. Now, this is not you guys, so I'll pick on other people. Um, but when we first got this building, it was like an episode of church hoarders. How many of you were here when we first got this building? I went into rooms. It was, it's crazy, the junk that people left. It took us 27 semi-sized dumpsters just to throw away the trash. 20, and some, some of you, see, there are women who just did this. Whoa, because they would never live in that, Right? And it's like, well, God's house should be like your house, at least livable. And so we just, I was here with my kids and some of you were helping and, you know, we're just like, oh my gosh, every door we'd open, there was another piece of junk. There were a bunch of, I don't know what happened. There were a bunch of three-legged chairs. I'm like, what kind of, did Cirque du Soleil meet here? How do you even sit in that thing? How do you, how do you do that? So we're just 27 semi-sized dumpsters because over the years, Lame sacrifice after lame sacrifice after lame sacrifice. And what was really interesting, people started showing up asking for their stuff back that it attended here years ago. I had an amazing conversation with someone. They're like, do you have my chair? I was like, I don't know. We have 27 dumpsters full of junk. What did your chair look like? Well, it was stained and had floral and nasty. I was like, I don't know. We had so many of those. I'm not sure which one was yours. It's a, they're in the dumpster, you're free to go look for them and we'll pray for you, but I'm not coming in after you. I asked this person, I said, uh, I said, how long has that chair been here? They're like, I don't know, five or 10 years. And I said, you want it back? I said, yeah. They said, yeah. I said, did you even attend this church? They're like, I did a long time ago and the chair wouldn't fit in my apartment. So I dropped it off at church and just left it there and figure I'd get it later. Wow. Oh yeah. That's why it's awesome to be the pastor. Yeah. It's for the Lord. It's like, no, it's for the burn pile. It's not for the Lord. And so what God is saying here is he wants the first and the best. Bring me your first and best and bring it to the temple as a sacrifice and a sacrifice costs you something. Now here's, that, that's not a problem. That's how God decreed that he would be Worship, that's how God commanded that he would be worshiped. Well, here's what happened. Some people were bringing their lame sacrifice. So they needed to put an inspector in charge to say, no, we're not taking that. Right? Imagine if Goodwill had nobody out front to decide yes and no. Goodwill would turn into a dump, amen? You're like, hey, I've, you know, my dog went to the bathroom and here you go. You're like, hey, we're good. That's not for Goodwill. People will just dump things unless there's somebody to assess and evaluate. Yeah, we'll take this, not that. So people started bringing crazy lame sacrifices to the temple. So they had to put an inspector in place saying, no, 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 God said he wants first and best, and that's not it. Now what happens over time, the people who are bringing the lame sacrifices their sacrifice is rejected. They're like, well, how do we worship God? So then they came up with a business opportunity. Well, hmm, how about if we sell some acceptable sacrifices right here, save them the trip to go back home and find more. So oxen, sheep, pigeons right over here. So you come up, hey, here's my lame sacrifice. Uh, No, well, I wanna worship God. You can buy one of our acceptable sacrifices at 10 times the cost. They jacked up the prices. I love Disneyland, but let me just be honest. It's like that. How many of you have been to Disneyland? How much is a churro at Disneyland? $1,000 for a churro at Disneyland. Because there is no other place to get a churro. You can't be like, well, that's it. I'm leaving Disneyland. You're like, well, you have to pay the price once you're on the property. The temple became like that. Well, I need to worship God. Okay, well, then here it is. Here's the sacrifice, you gotta pay 10 times. So now you've got an opportunity for those who are evaluating the sacrifice 
to get to the point where they're like, you know, we could increase our margins. How many of you are business people and you like to increase your margins? Nobody raised their hand because they're like, I think he's going to get me. Okay. Uh, um, The Holy Spirit might get you. I'm just teaching the Bible. Nonetheless, they thought, you know, we're rejecting the lame sacrifices and then they got to go pay the higher price. What if we rejected all their sacrifices and the only way they could get a sacrifice in is if they bought ours? That would actually generate more sales and higher margins. It's pretty genius. So now you've actually got godly people that have done what God intended. They raised their animal as a sacrifice. They took the best out of their flock, not the worst. They made the great inconvenience of bringing it all the way to the temple in Jerusalem for the sacrifice in place for their sin as the substitute. And then it's rejected. So the, there's, the, these people are like, wait a minute. I think my sacrifice is accepted. No, 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 no. I'm the expert rejected. Well, I don't want to carry this thing home. We'll buy it from you for 10 cents on the dollar. Well, how do I worship God? Well, we have these acceptable sacrifices over here that are marked up tenfold. True or false, from a business perspective, if you're going to go to hell, this is, this is a really efficient way to go to hell. This is a very economically efficient way to go to hell. From a pure business perspective, this is genius. Amen? You're like, well, I buy their animal for 10 cents on the dollar and then I move them over to the approved pile and I sell them for 10 times. What a markup. So these poor families literally showing up like, well, this is, the, this is the sheep that Johnny raised and we brought it to the Lord and okay, we'll sell it to you for 10 bucks. Oh gosh, we got to go over there and buy one. Okay, how much is it? It's a hundred bucks. Hey, that's Johnny's sheep. You're selling me my sheep back at a significant price increase. Now, those who are evaluating the sacrifices, they're getting a cut. You know who's also getting a cut? The religious leaders. This is what happens when ministry gets handed over exclusively to those who are making economic decisions in their interest, not spiritual decisions in God's interest. Okay? So for you and me both, If you're feeling convicted, I'm feeling something. Because you may be thinking, do I sacrifice? Do I worship? Am I generous? That's what you need to be thinking about. Me as your senior pastor, I need to be thinking, are we good stewards? Are we good managers of these resources that belong to God? So there's there's responsibility for both of them. I feel the weight of this as as your leader like, okay, we want to be good stewards and I want you to be generous people. This is, this is what God is going for. And in this moment, it's not happening. God's people are not necessarily coming with a heart of worship and sacrifice and generosity and God's leaders are totally exploiting and taking advantage of them in a corrupt system, all in the name of God. And then Jesus shows up, God shows up and is like, that's not what I wanted. That's not what I That's not what I asked for. In addition, uh, the money changers, who are those guys? What are they doing? Well, in the Old Testament, there is something called a tithe. What percentage is that? 10%. That was to go to the Levites. That's not your total tithe. Your total tithe in the Old Testament was 25 to 27%. Feasts, festivals, temple taxes, sacrifices, gleanings for the poor. There's a whole list of things that God's people are to give. The total, depending upon how you run the numbers, is 25 to 27%. Now, what happens here, part of their total giving is a temple tax, and it's for able-bodied adult males, and they're supposed to give the equivalent of a couple of days' wages, so a couple hundred or a couple of thousand bucks. So in addition to bringing your sacrifice, you're supposed to bring your temple tax And you show up to pay your temple tax and they say, you cannot pay with those coins because those coins have the picture of the godless Roman emperor and you can't use godless money to pay God's tax. So what do you do? We've invented temple money. Any of you been to Chuck E. Cheese? (laughs) Hey, this is just Chuck E. Cheese for religious people. You show up to Chuck E. Cheese, you're like, I'd like to put my money in the video game. And they say, no, this is Chuck E. Cheese's kingdom. You can only use Chuck E. Cheese's coins and there's an exchange rate. How many of you have been to Dave and Buster's? 
right? It's Dave and Busted. What happens is you come and you say, I would like to put my money in so that my children can blow it. And that's the point. And they say, no, you can't use your money. You need to use our special Dave and Buster's card. And you say, well, there's an exchange right there. What if I don't use all the money on the card? Do I get it back? Answer? No. No, this is rock, paper, scissors, you lose. Okay, this is how we play this game. What happened to the temple taxes? You show up and you say, okay, I want to pay my temple tax. I say, okay, then we need to exchange your money for special temple money. What's the exchange rate? It's bad. So not only are you going to pay your tax, we've got a margin on it that benefits us. So now to pay your temple tax, you got a bad exchange rate. If you bring your sacrifice, they take it and you have to go over and pay more for your sacrifice. Here's what I want you to know. Some people will look at this and say, this is why you know spirituality shouldn't include finances. That's not the point. God has already told them, pay a temple tax, offer a sacrifice. Here's how you generate revenue. Here's how you do it. The problem is not that they were generating revenue. The problem is they were generating revenue in a way that was against how God told them to. It's not a sin for your business to make a profit as long as you're doing it in a godly way. This system is ungodly. They are not doing it the way that God had asked them to. As a result, this is injustice. So when does this happen? Passover. What was the whole point of Passover? A corrupt economic and spiritual system oppressed God's people to take their money and they couldn't worship God freely. So God delivered them to move to Jerusalem and they set up Jerusalem just like Egypt. It's a corrupt economic system and people are still not free to worship God. Because the problem, my friend, is always in the human heart. And we could change nations and we can change systems, but if our hearts don't change, then eventually everything goes back to the crooked way that it used to be. So it's a hard issue. And to make matters even worse, you got preferential treatment depending upon how much you gave. How many of you, you, you or your company have got season tickets to a sporting event or a team? Many of you got those, I'm not against that. But if you pay more money, true or false, you get a better seat. Like today's the Super Bowl. If you watch the Super Bowl, the people that are right behind the bench, they paid a lot. The, the people in the special suites, oh my golly, that was a few bucks, right? The really cheap seats up top, those were the cheapest seats. What these religious leaders decided that they would do, they had a special commodity that was way better than the New England Patriots or the Philadelphia Eagles. They had the presence of God. And the business leaders thought, oh, there is an opportunity for season tickets here. People want to come and get near God. God is here, his presence. We could charge based upon access. Do you know that certain religions still operate this way? That to be a member of the organization, you buy your season tickets. So when the holidays, the holy days come, you have reserved seating for you and your family. And the, you know, us poor chumps got to stand in the back, but you can come in late and just walk down. Now, let me say this. I think it's okay when a movie theater does this. How many of you, you buy a ticket to a movie theater, and you pre-reserve your seat so that you can roll in and get the seat you want. I don't think that's a sin. But I think it is a problem when we're dealing with God's people and God's presence. I believe that a family should be loving and welcoming and that there should not be what James, Jesus' brother calls partiality and favoritism contingent upon income. And that's the problem of what is happening here. That is the heart of what is occurring here. And what happens during this time of Passover, people would go to their house, they would look for the leaven and they would clean it out because leaven in a loaf is like sin in your life. If you don't take it out, it grows and multiplies. And what happens here, the owner of this house, Jesus shows up and he starts to clean house. Uh, He starts by making a whip. How many of you are surprised that Jesus knows how to make a whip? He's, he takes a while to make a whip and he is driving everybody out. What he's saying is, God is to be worshiped, but not like this. Let me say this. I love you. My goal is to build you up, not beat you up. But hear me. Worship is not for you. Worship is for God. 
And sometimes what happens is if worship is for you, then you are the customer and we serve you providing religious goods and services. And that is not the worship of God. That is the worship of you. So sometimes people will say like, yeah, that form of worship doesn't work for me. Well, it's not for you. It's for God. God gets to decide how he's worshiped. God in the Bible has already told them how he is to be worshiped. They are worshiping, quote unquote, in a way that works for them, but this is not a way that works for God. And so God shows up and says, what are you doing? They're like, we're doing church. And he says, that's not how I want it done. And so Jesus then forces the issue and causes commands change. For those of us who are believers, we've always got to ask ourselves, Am I trending in this direction? Is this where my heart is at? Right? Again, I'm not trying to condemn you, but maybe the Holy Spirit would convict you. Do I just offer lame sacrifices? Do I always come empty-handed? Am I always looking for a good deal? Do I expect to be treated like a customer? Do I want it all to work for me? That's where the problem begins. That's where the problem begins. And so, I'll just leave it there. Next scripture. Religious people need to learn about Jesus. So here they are to worship God. God shows up and they ignore him, which is amazing. John 2, 18 through 22. So the Jews said to him, the religious leaders, what sign do you do for us to show these things? Jesus, you seem to think you have a lot of authority. Why don't you prove it and do a miracle? Paul tells the Corinthians that Jewish people like to have a good argument and Jewish people like to have a miracle. They like a sign. Sometimes people are like, well, Jesus, heal me. Jesus, do a miracle. Jesus, prove yourself to me. Jesus, show off, do what I tell you to do. And then maybe I'll worship you. God can do miracles, but he doesn't do miracles because we tell him to. He's God, he gets to do what he wants to do. Jesus answered them, destroy this temple. And in three days, I will rise it up. Then the Jews, the religious leader says, It's taken how many years to build a temple? 46 years. Here's what you need to know as well. They've still got 20 years left on their building project. This is a 66 year building project. Part of the reason perhaps that they are squeezing the people is because they've gotten themselves overextended in a building campaign. Okay, so it just means we all gotta be generous and good stewards, it's both. Okay, now they're tight financially, so they're gonna squeeze the people with a corrupt system to build a place that God can be worshiped through money they stole. Ah. 66 years, and uh, you'll raise it up in three days. We've already been working on it for 46 years. I know you're a carpenter, but that seems like a lot for you to get done in three days. But he was speaking about the temple of his... Body. The whole point of the temple was to point to Jesus. It's the presence of God. There is a high priest. He intercedes between the sinful people and the holy God by offering a sacrifice in place for their sin. Jesus comes. He is the temple, the presence of God. He is our great high priest. He is the mediator between a holy God and a sinful people. And he offers himself as the sacrificial substitute for our sin. The whole point was to get him to Jesus. Jesus shows up and they're like, Get out of the way. We really love the building. We really love the building. But he was speaking about the temple of his body, died on a Friday, was buried, rose on a Sunday. A part of any day counts as a day, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Jesus did exactly what he said. He not only died, he rose three days later. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had Spoken. Um, Think about this. They built the temple for 46 years. They had 20 years left. If my math is right, they finished around 66 AD. All of this was a, a project to get the temple up. When was the temple destroyed, tore down? 70 AD. 66 years, work, give, sacrifice, steal, rip off, build, 
Four years later, it all comes down. You know why? If you got Jesus, you don't need that. Again, the center of our faith is not a place, it's a person. His name is Jesus. I'm glad that we have a church home. I praise God for our church home. But let's just always guard our hearts and say, let's not make this into an idol. Right? Let's not drive in and say, that's my parking spot and that's my seat because that's where all the trouble begins. Let's say this is a house for God's people. We want it to be a hospitable, loving, and warm house. We want the people to come to worship God. We also want the resources to be stewarded wisely. That's the heart of what is happening here. That's the heart of what is happening here. So they don't understand worship, and they ultimately don't understand Jesus. Some people will say, this is why the church should not be run like a business. Have you ever heard that? I'll just let you know a little secret. We are a business. We have employees. We own real estate. And if we don't do some things, I do prison ministry from the inside. Okay, so like we have to, we have to abide by the law. So there is an element to ministry that is business. Do you understand that? And some people will say, that's why church shouldn't run as a business. No, if the business is going to manage its assets well, if we're managing God's assets, we should manage them at least that well. Right? Other people will say, no, 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 the church is just a family. Should the church be a family? For sure. So here's what I would give you. This is how I see it. It's a family business. Any of you been in business with your family? We're praying for you. Good luck with that. But... Um, <laughs> But the way a family business works is we have to do things professionally, but we love each other personally. So it's highly relational, very loving. We care about each other, but we also want to manage our affairs in a way that is professional and responsible. And what is happening here, it's not a family business. It's just a business. And it's not conducting itself as a healthy family where everybody's loved and cared for and welcomed. Instead, no, it is, it is all business and it is not family. And when Jesus shows up, he gives us this great insight. He names it, not just the house, but whose house? The father's house, the father's house. See, what he's saying is you're a family and the family needs to be organized in a way that dad wants. And we're here ultimately to meet with him. And so Jesus shows up as the son of God and says, the father's house is not being run in a way that honors the father. This is not what the father said. God had already told them how to generate revenue. There's a tithe, there's feasts, there's festivals, there's sacrifices, there's a temple tax. All of these things were instituted by God. So God is not against revenue. He's against ungodly gain and unjust systems. They looked at the revenue that God Required, and they said, we can generate more revenue if we just alter his principles. And as a result, Jesus said, no, that's not how we do this. So God is not against generating revenue and owning real estate. God is against generating more revenue than he asked for. And God is against generating revenue by changing his word to increase your margins. For all of us, this is something to consider For any of you in business, this is something for you even to look, because let me say this, it's not just the temple and not just the church that belongs to God, so does your business. And if you are a believer, then that organization ultimately needs to be run by his principles. It's a little heavy, isn't it? How many of you liked the one last week where Jesus made wine and we all had a good time, right? (laughs) Next section of scripture. They don't understand worship. They don't understand Jesus. They don't understand relationship. And they don't even understand relationship with Jesus. Uh, John 2, 23 through 25. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name. A lot of people became believers when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man for he himself knew what was in man. Let me pivot from financial to relational to emotional. There's four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They all tell the story of Jesus. Mark 11 gives this event of Jesus at the temple and it adds a caveat. Let me read it to you, Mark 11:17. Jesus says, 
Is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. In the temple, there was a place that was designated as the house of prayer for all the nations. It was called the court of the Gentiles. So the way the temple was constructed, there's the Holy of Holies. The priests could go there. Then there are different courts, different levels of access. So religious leaders, men, women, children. Do you know what was way out back? Court of the Gentiles. Way out back. Who are the Gentiles? Us. I'm Irish. I'm for sure a Gentile. Uh, There were Jewish people and Gentiles, those who were descendants of Abraham and everybody else. I didn't mean to get into all this, but actually Abraham started as a Gentile. And by faith, he had a relationship with God. So he becomes the father of those who have faith in God. And through Abraham, a promise was made back in Genesis that God would bless all the nations of the earth through his descendant, Jesus. So God's heart has always been for the nations, the Gentiles. But he goes first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. And so the way this works, if you're in the court of the Gentiles, you didn't grow up in a believing home. You've not been taught the Old Testament. Your mom and dad were not worshipers of the God of the Bible. Maybe you've converted to worship Yahweh, the God of the Bible, or maybe you're a person who is convicted of your own sin, you know your life is not in obedience to God, and you hear there is a God named Yahweh, and he's got a special people that he loves and blesses and forgives. And you think to yourself, I really wanna learn about that Yahweh God. So, okay, honey, pack up the kids. We're gonna go to Jerusalem. We're gonna go to another country. We're gonna go to another country so we can learn about this God. And you make the long journey to Jerusalem and you show up, you don't know what to expect. They say, are you Jew or Gentile? What what do you mean? Are you Jewish? No, you're Gentile. Over here in the Gentile line. Well, it looks like that Jewish line's moving fast and looks like TSA's running the Gentile line over here. Yeah, stand in the Gentile line. Okay, stand in the Gentile line. Where are all those people going? They're going into the inner courts. Where are you? You're over here at the edge of the property. Where did they set up the money changers? Where did they set up this corrupt sacrificial shell game? Court of the Gentiles. That's where all the unbelievers are. See, the believers are like, that's crooked. Put it over there. We don't want to see it. All the non-Christians walk up, the unbelievers, and they're like, this is our first introduction to God? This is why Jesus is so angry. This is why Jesus is so upset. My friend, where does Jesus show up? Court of the Gentiles. If there was anybody who could have been given VIP access... Let's remove the velvet rope. Welcome home, Jesus. Glad you're here. We got a gold thrown up front. Instead, Jesus says, I'm gonna go around the back and see how we're treating the Gentiles. All those people of different races and ethnicities and cultures and skin colors and types, we're gonna see how we're treating those people. He shows up and he's like, are you kidding me? These people made the journey from another nation. And when they get here, we just see them as an income stream. There's no heart for their soul. There's only a heart for their wallet. That's the problem. What this means is that God's people should be generous so that people who don't know God are not picking up the tab. God's people are, amen? Now, if you're a believer, you know this in your heart. This would be like today, you showed up and out front, we had a committee and they're like, uh, are you a first time visitor? Yeah. Okay, well, it'll be $27 to get in. Really? Yeah, but you can't come in the main room. You got to go out back. We have a janitorial closet for you. And uh, we'll turn a speaker on and Mark will yell at you for an hour. He's going to yell at you for an hour. Well, I heard you guys go through a book of the Bible. Yeah, would you like to buy a copy of John? Yeah, I would. Or no, I actually brought my own copy of John. Sorry, we don't allow your Bible. You got to buy the approved Trinity Church Bible. They're a grand so it's going to be, oh, and you brought your family. Okay, well, let me start doing the math. Okay, well, we'll swipe your card, go to the janitorial closet, and if you get saved, congratulations. 
If not, we don't care. This is the heart of what's going on. At the one place on earth that you could come to learn about God, the one place on earth that you could hear about God, the one place that you could meet God. Okay, I love you, but let me ask you this question. When you come here, are you thinking about other people? It's like, that's my parking spot. They're sitting in my seat. Instead of looking around saying, hey, are you new? Welcome. How could we welcome you into our living room to meet our father? We are his family. I don't want us to just, what can happen is we can read the Bible and say, oh, those people were terrible. Instead of reading the Bible and asking, am I like those people or am I trending to become more like those people? Okay. These are people who are just going to church trying to find the quickest, easiest, most efficient, cheapest way to get in and out and check their box of obligation. They're not coming with a heart of sacrifice. They're not thinking about other people. They're not welcoming of strangers and lost people. And they're actually not there to meet with God. They're there to fulfill their religious obligations and duties. I'm not saying that as you, but I'm saying if we're a believer, we always have to be guarding our heart, checking our heart to see if we're trending in that direction. Is that fair? Is that fair? Now, what I love is Jesus shows up in the court of the Gentiles and many believed in him. Jesus shows up and they're like, we love you. Can we be saved? Yeah, this shows you there are people that would be happy to meet Jesus if we would welcome them to church and pursue them for relationship. Now, a lot of people like Jesus that says that the, sort of the crowds are swelling and it says that Jesus didn't entrust himself to everyone because he knew what was in the heart of every man. So relationally, here's what you need to know. There are gonna be a lot of people in your life. You can't trust them all. Some of you are naive. You're like, I just love people and I trust them and I open my heart and I keep getting hurt because you're naive. Some of you have seen that, so you're paranoid. You're like, everybody's the devil. That's why I don't trust anybody. And I just sit home and clean my gun and read Lamentations and call my divorce attorney. That's why I do all that, okay? The goal is not to be naive and it's not to be paranoid. It's to be discerning. Lots of people want a relationship with Jesus and he knows what's in their hearts, so he's very discerning. The key is to worship God. The key is to know Jesus. The key is to learn to be healthy relationally, and all of this requires being healthy emotionally. So let me pivot to Jesus' emotional life. Um, Jesus is angry. Can we agree on that? He's he's angry. Um, Some of you only see Jesus as an angry person. Some of you only or primarily see Jesus as a very loving, kind, never angry person. So let me do this. Uh, This came up in our discussions this week. Last week, emotionally, was very different than this week, if you were here. Amen? What was last week? What was the scene? Was it, was it Jerusalem? No, it was Cana of Galilee. Was it the temple? No, it was a wedding. Was Jesus angry? No. Jesus, Jesus was not angry at the wedding. It does not say Jesus showed up at the wedding. His mom told him to make wine. He sat down and made a whip, whipped his mom, and drove everybody from the reception. Right? You'd be like, yeah, that would have been awkward. That would have been very awkward. Indiana Jones at the wedding reception. Right? He does. This week, he doesn't show up at the temple and say, I'm just here to make wine. Who wants wine? Okay. Um, I just, I'm doing a big emotional study in the Bible of Jesus. There's about 60 occasions in the Gospels that speak of his emotions. The primary emotion of Jesus that I mentioned most frequently is compassion. Compassion, okay? Jesus' emotional life is perfect. There are times that he is very loving, kind, tender, merciful. There's times he's very intense, very aggressive, very angry. I'll call these the lion and the lamb. Okay, so let's deal with Jesus' lamb first. We saw this in John chapter one. This was a little bit earlier in our study of John's gospel. John the baptizer looks at Jesus. Behold the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. What do you think of when you think of lamb? How many of you are not scared of a lamb? Like right now, let's say a truck broke down out front and a whole bunch of lambs escaped and they all flooded the property. You'd be like, oh, they're, it's, they're 
They're cotton balls with feet. They're adorable. And nobody's scared of lamb. Lambs are so amazingly comforting that if a child is having a hard time sleeping, we tell them, just count sheep. It's the most soothing thing. Eventually you'll just have sweet dreams. Lambs are, they're vegetarians. They're vegetarians. They they don't kill anything. Uh, They run in packs. They hang out together. They're highly social animals. Uh, They're very, they're very good pets. They're very, very nice to have around. How many of you see Jesus as lamb? So let me, let me do this. I was busy this week, so I don't have a time to do this. So you can help me. Um, can you think of anything in the Bible that really reminds you of Jesus as lamb? What comes to mind? Any scenes? Share them. The little children come to Jesus. And he doesn't whip them. <laughs> right? He doesn't grab Barbie and rip her hair out like, I'm making a whip, you know, and I'm going to whip you with Barbie's hair. He doesn't do that, right? He's very, very lammy, okay? Very lammy. Okay, anything else that comes to mind? Jesus is lamb. The woman at the well. well, We had a, this was in stereo, echo right there. Okay, so the woman at the well, she's in sin. She's had five husbands. She's shagging up with some guy. Jesus shows up and says, you know, I love you. There's a better life for you. He's very kind, loving, compassionate, relational. He's tender with her. Anything else come to mind? Jesus is lamb. When he is being beaten, when he's being crucified, uh, Isaiah tells us that like a lamb that was led to slaughter, he did not open his mouth. So when Jesus went to the cross to atone for the sin of the world, he just surrendered and submitted and suffered. Anything else come to mind? Jesus as lamb. Yeah, the children coming to Jesus with the woman. There's a prostitute. Her life is ruined and he is loving and compassionate with her. The other religious leaders want to kill her. He wants to encourage her. Okay, so, so can we say sometimes Jesus is lamb? And sometimes you need Jesus' as lamb. You're like, I'm suffering. I got cancer. My spouse left. I'm confused. I'm hurting. Life is difficult. Jesus, are you safe? Will you do relationship? Are, are you a person that I can, I can trust and you're not going to attack or hurt me? Okay. Next one, uh, Jesus is the tough line. John 5, 5, same author as the gospel of John. Weep no more. Behold the, the lion. Lion's very different than a lamb. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, is conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Jesus here coming again is called the lion. Now a lion is the king of the what? Jungle. You know what a lion eats? Whatever it wants. I mean, if you YouTube this, it's crazy. You'll see a lion take down an elephant. You'll see a lion take down a buffalo. You'll see a lion take down an alligator. A lion looks at everything and says, lunch. A lion can do whatever it wants. Male lions tend to travel in prides or packs with females and children. And if there's an alpha male lion with his pride or pack and another alpha male comes around, what happens? There's some conflict. Can you think of any occasions in the Bible where Jesus is not just lamb, but he's lion? Can you think of any? Get behind me, Satan. I'm sure Peter was like, that was not very lammy. You know, uh, that was more liony. That was less lamby, more liony. Get behind me, Satan. Okay. Anything else you could think of where Jesus is? He's lion. He's casting demons out of people. That's that's very lionish, right? He is aggressive. He's exerting authority. He is commanding. He is conquering over the demonic. Anytime the religious leaders show up, right? It gets pretty liony pretty quick. So ultimately they want to kill him because they see him as the alpha. And then there's this picture of Jesus in the second coming in Revelation chapter 19. Um, It's like an old Western. It says that he is riding back into history on a horse, right? And it says he has a name written on his leg, maybe a tattoo, And no one knows what that name is. And from his mouth comes a sword with which to slay the nations. Lammy or liony? Tattooed riding a horse sword guy? 
Lion-y. Okay, I'm just going to throw that out there. And he's wearing what color? White. I'll tell you, I'll tell you what happens. If you show up for a fight and the other guy's wearing a white hat, a white suit, a white shirt, a white tie, white socks, white shoes, he is not worried about that fight. He's pretty confident it's going to be over fast and he's not even going to get dirty. <laughs> That's very lion-y, okay? So when Jesus comes back, he'll defeat Satan and demons. He'll put down injustice. He will bring justice to the nations. He will set the captive free. He will bind up the brokenhearted. And Jesus will be a lamb with us and a lion for us forever. So what this means is that a healthy emotional life is knowing when to be lion, when to be lamb. Some of you men, you're lions. Say, I protect my family. I conquer out in business. I take down all the you know, opponents and I, I bring all the plunder home to my family. I'm a lion. It's okay to be a lion for your family, but you better not always be a lion with your family. Then you're the angry dad. You're the mean dad. You're the dangerous dad. You're the unsafe dad. You're the scary dad. Okay? For some of you, you say, that's why I'm always a lion. Excuse me, always rather a lamb. I'm never a lion. Well, you may say, I, I, I love people. I build a relationship. I just lay down. I don't fight back. I don't like conflict. Well, then you're going to allow some wonderful people to get hurt. I dealt with a guy. He uh, allowed his daughters to date very bad guys. And some very bad things happened to these young women. I asked, why didn't you say or do anything? He said, I just don't like conflict. I just don't like to fight. So a lion showed up and dad laid down as a lamb and the flock got devoured. And that was when dad should have been a lion. There are other times that dad is the lion and he's breaking the lambs. The key is for all of us, and I'm picking on the men because most men have an emotional spectrum of asleep and angry, and that's their emotional spectrum. And so what I don't want to do is say, Jesus got angry. A lot of guys are like, I'm like Jesus. No, you're not. No, you're not. No, you're not. No, you're not. He wasn't always angry. He didn't live there. He would visit there. He didn't wake up every day and build another whip, right? But for us to be emotionally healthy, it is to get to know Jesus as tender lion and tough lamb. Or excuse me. It's a long day. I went to public school. I mean, these things happen. I am a professional communicator. Uh, This is my only job. Let me try this again. (laughs) Uh, To have a healthy emotional life is to begin by looking at Jesus' perfect emotional life and saying, when do I need to be a lamb? That's very, very tender. When do I need to be a lion that's very, very tough? I got it right that time, didn't I? Okay, that's good. All right, a little encouragement. All right. And then it is for us to become emotionally healthy and having a relationship with Jesus in which we worship him in ways that he finds acceptable. Okay? So what we're going to do at this point, um, we're going to worship God. All right, so the whole, the whole point of the story was people came together to to worship God. We're God's people. This is God's house, right? We're here to worship God. Um, The reason I am not collecting the offering now, I want you to think and pray about your giving. If I passed a plate, you'd feel, you're like, oh, he just preached. I better dump in a big one because the guy next to me is watching. No, I want this to be between you and God and thinking about, some people come up to me and ask, how much should I give? I was like, that's a great question to ask the Lord. And I'm not the Lord, so I don't have an answer. But this is an occasion for you to think about your worship. We will also take communion, remembering Jesus as the sacrifice gave himself body and blood in our place for our sins. And I want you to see that Jesus is God's sacrifice and Jesus is first and Jesus is best, amen? So if you're here and you're not a Christian, you're like, what do I give? Here's what I want you to give. Not your money, your sin. Before God asks for your best, he wants your worst. I had a non-Christian come up to me one time and they said, 
how much should I give? I said, 100%. And they're like, oh. I said, of your sin. They're like, oh, oh, that's much better. Yeah, that's why we call it the good news. There's nobody looking for your sin, but Jesus. And so we give 100% of our sin to Jesus and God gives us his first and best, his only begotten son, as the sacrifice, as the priest, as the temple. Today, we don't have to go to a place. We go to a person who's alive and well, rose after three days. His name is Jesus. For some of you, you need to come to him today like a lamb saying, Jesus, I need your help. I need a relationship. Some of you need to honor Jesus as lion. You are in charge. You are in authority. This is your life and your money, and it's not mine. And we're going to sing and celebrate together. And that's why we're here in God's house, okay? Father God, thank you for an opportunity to teach your word here at the Trinity Church. God, I love these people very much. And I pray, Holy Spirit, whatever you would have for them, whatever takeaway, whatever principle, whatever application, that they would take it to heart. And Lord God, we come to worship, not just to check a box of religious obligation, but to meet in the Father's house as the children of God. And Jesus, pray for all of us, but especially starting with the men, emotional health, that we would see you as lion and lamb, and we would know when to be lion and when to be lamb. Pray, Lord God, for our relationship with Jesus and our ability to worship in a way that is relational, emotional, and healthy. And Holy Spirit, we invite you into our presence to teach us to worship in the strong name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.